Hello and welcome to Get Object. This is a podcast about things in games. I'm Rosie. I am joined as always by my co-host Paul. Hello. And today we are talking about swords. So we'll be studying the blade in just a moment. But first some chat. Paul, how are you? What have you been playing? What's the vibe? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good, thank you. I've been um, playing through an old game series for work. So I've been playing through the Gabriel Knight series. Not sure how familiar you are with Gabriel Knight. I have played all of the Gabriel Knight games. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, cool. really like them. Okay, so yeah, um, quite an interesting series in the way it kind of charts an evolution of what adventure games were trying to do. Yep. Obviously, the first one is like classic pixel art um, icons for your various actions, like yeah, open Monkey and Island kind of and stuff like yeah, that mm. kind of thing, and then two's like FMV stuff. Yes. Um, which is uh, interesting. And then th- three is like just at that stage where Adventure Games made a rather clunky move into the world of, of 3D. Yeah. Uh, so it's quite interesting seeing it, how it kind of uh, tried to keep up with all those trends. Um, yeah, I, sh- I should be speaking to, to Jane Jensen soon for work. Who Really? Made- yeah. Oh, that's so exciting. That's really, yeah. I, I really, really like the Gabriel Knight games a lot. I think they're really, um, yeah, well, I mean, are you enjoying them? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, like, for me, like, one is, uh, I haven't, like, had time to, like, extensively, yeah, play through them as I normally would. Like, I've been kind of, like, dipping into guides to, like, get through to get, like, grab screenshots and stuff. But, um, yeah, one is by far and away the one, I like the most just because I mean a lot of that's just I mean it's it's aged the best because yes like obviously yeah the FMV thing and the kind of early you know very slightly ropey 3D of three Mm, uh, has mm. not aged particularly well one still looks great yeah and uh yeah very fun with like the voice like Tim Curry is always good in video games yeah Uh, he's in quite a few games I, what else is he in? Uh, Toonstruck, he's in. Is he in Toonstruck? Uh, I did play Toonstruck year, like when it came out, I think, when I was a little kid, probably. Um, yeah. Right. He's in that. I'm not sure what else off the top of my head. But yeah, so I've been playing those, and I also started Heaven's Vault, which you were obviously very, very high on the last time we spoke, so yes. I, I finally found some time to start that. And yeah, I like it. Uh, yeah, you're enjoying it. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. The... It is very fun doing the translations, and um, I, I, I started. I, I guess I started to get what you mean in terms of like recognizing some words mm. a little bit, mm. like having an idea, which is cool to like, yeah, see a like made up language you don't know and kind of get a bit of a feel for it. Um, but yeah, and I like the structure of like going to like an archaeological site and having a little explore and seeing what's there and there's nice big chunks of mystery left with each thing you find like you do, you can't quite kind of get a grasp on what these places are yeah at least where at the point i'm at uh don't like the flying between places the flying isn't the best no i like the principle of it of like having to do like a little journey to get between the sites um but yeah it's not very fun 
but yeah, I, I it's it's fun. I've still got I, I've still got plenty to go, so I'll be continuing on with that. Um, yeah, what about you? Um, well, I've been playing Heaven's Vault as well. Um, I went into New Game Plus on that one. Um, I was enjoying it so much, and I was like, "There's more glyphs that I don't know what they are," so I'm going to go back in and, and figure that out. Um, the other things that I have been playing are. Uh, games uh, I've already mentioned I think probably on the podcast um, uh, I've gone back to Assassin's Creed Odyssey which was the game that I was supposed to complete over Christmas and then I got a switch and everything got very sidetracked Mm. Um, but yeah I'm still trying to make progress through ancient Greece Um, really good game in a lot of ways very frustrating Assassin's Creed I'm finding the um, the amount of bloat like oh my god yeah the amount of mechanics it's like every button does six different things depending on you know context and what you're doing there's just too much stuff and it's really frustrating when you have a game that is such a beautifully realized world like walking around ancient greece that's fantastic it's brilliant to be able to do that it's so so interesting um and and but then you know the only thing that needed doing is like a load of stuff needed taking out of that game um, in order to like refine it and that's a frustrating thing you know that's just editing um doesn't i mean that that basically sounds like why i stopped playing assassin's creed games it's com- don't like, yeah there's too much shit in them it doesn't need to be there it's completely fair enough like it is i I've, i'm i'm getting quite annoyed about it because there's you know there's a there's a core experience there that is um so uh almost like precious to be able to have that you know if you're interested in in ancient Greece as a sort of historical setting how amazing Mm. to be able to walk around and see you know how villages were laid out and stuff like that I know that the you know and I think you mentioned it as well they take loads of reference from actual archaeology and stuff like that like so much good work has gone into this game um Mm. but you know just things needed to be taken out of it uh Mm. so, so that's that's frustrating but I am still enjoying it and also um Diablo 3 I started playing it because I wanted to talk about it a little bit to talk about swords Mm. turned out it wasn't the best choice because there aren't actually there are lots of swords in Diablo 3 but there aren't any sword dedicated classes which I was quite surprised by um so I don't know if you know the Diablo series particularly well I mean I've, I've not played any of them but I know yeah, I know you walk around those dungeons and make the numbers go up. You certainly I mean. do. What a time. I absolutely love it. But um, but yeah, you can be playing as like a barbarian or a demon hunter or, you know, a mage or whatever. Um, but none of the classes of uh, hero that you can be playing um, kind of focuses on swords. They're all focused on other weapons. Um, I think mm. there's a reason for that that maybe uh, we can talk about uh, during the... Um, when we get onto our discussion but anyway okay. but but because i started playing it i got sucked into it it's a tremendously addictive experience i really enjoy diablo um so i've just been playing some of that as well cool yep okay so let's uh we've got a little bit of feedback to uh get to before we start talking about our subject for today mm-hmm. so um adam Adam Hagstrom got in touch with us on Twitter after the Telephones episode and said, I really enjoyed the new episode. Consider this a ringing endorsement of the show. Uh, um, he's na- narrowly, narrowly avoided a ban for that by providing some uh, some additional information. Uh, right. So uh, 
Yeah, he said, uh, fellow listeners who might have developed an interest in the history of the telephone, artificial sound in, in general might enjoy this YouTube series and he's provided a nice link to a video about Bell and the invention of artificial sound. So you can, I guess, go on our Twitter and find the tweet on there oh, and find cool. that little series. Um, also linked to a uh, Guardian article about telegraph hacking. So we wow. were talking, obviously, about hacking going back to pre-internet to the telephone. Yeah. But um, Adam's gone one step further here and, yeah, brought us to, to hacking of the telegraph. Oh. So, yeah. Jesus, that's Very brilliant. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, Again, yeah, uh, that's called, if you want to look for that, it's called The World's First ha- <clears throat> Sorry. The World's First Hack, The Telegraph and the Invention of Privacy. So, yeah. Wonderful stuff. Thank you very much. Um, okay, and another piece of feedback we have is from Jeff Spender. Um, Jeff is talking about food uh, following our episode. I think that was episode seven on food. I'm not sure. Anyway, you can probably... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, he says, an odd example is Fable, the original, maybe the sequels, but I never played them, wherein some foods are assigned a moral value. You get bad karma for eating live chicks, understandable, and good karma for tucking into raw tofu. Did you ever play the Fable series? Uh, not really. I play. I did play a bit of one on like my brother's Xbox, but I didn't really like. Yeah, didn't really get into it. Um, I know lots. Of, obviously, lots of people love them, but yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I I've played all the Fable games. Um, I was like really into the first one. Um, and mm. and the second actually was was pretty good. It was just a bit short. Um, but yeah, I do very much remember eating like live chick after live chick in the first one to try and get like, you try and get the badness meter up so that you'll get cool horns and stuff like that. Um, I think they're rebooting the Fable series, I think. Yeah, that rings a bell. It's something I I just don't pay much attention to because I haven't really... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess not much for everything. I mean, mean, it would make sense. It's kind of, it feels like it's it's, around Maybe it's one of those things that's been rumoured and hasn't like... It might be that. It might. Yeah, I think that's it actually because it wouldn't... Oh, I won't get into it. Yeah, because I don't think Lionhead still exists anymore who made... No. Right, yeah, so... But yeah, anyway, so maybe it'll be back one day and hopefully we'll be able to eat live chickens. Thank you very much for reminding me of that one, Jeff. Yeah, and obviously, um, if you want to send feedback on, like, older episodes, like, Mm. just to say, because obviously... uh, We've we've done an episode since food. Like that's fine. Um, oh yeah, yeah, we're yeah. We're happy to talk about keys or maps or whatever. If you're kind of coming to things new or whatever, or just had something come to mind, uh, send it in. That's fine. Absolutely. Give us feedback. Give us like predictions. Like if you can think of objects that you think we're going to come to, just like you know, psychic it up and send in some thoughts beforehand. Like there's absolutely <laughs> absolutely no concern here with the time flow. Um, yeah. All objects very welcome. Okay, so on to our subject for this episode, which, as we've mentioned, is swords. Um, I'm going to guess that you've played a lot of games with swords then, Rosie. I have, yeah, 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 absolutely. So swords is obviously an absolute mainstay of fantasy as a genre, which is uh, definitely my comfort zone. And uh, so many of the games that I like have swords in them that I just am just focusing on a few games um, that I think do them interestingly or well today. Um, how about you? Do you like a sword? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I was kind of thinking 
about like what makes swords different from uh, other weapons or like primarily guns, which is of mm. course the other big uh, game weapon that you're, you're going to come into. And um, I mean, th- there's certain ideas that surround swords that aren't confined to the realm of video games. So there's an idea that they are a weapon of honor, mm-hmm. um, that they that they require finesse and skill. Like uh, there's an idea you can just. I mean, it's, I guess it's not entirely true. Like you, 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 I mean, yeah, anyone can use a gun to an extent, right? I right. mean, I, I guess that's maybe a bit overblown in that you can learn how to use a gun properly, but still, like you can pick up a gun and pull the trigger. Or whereas a sword, like if you don't know how to use it, like you're just going to be kind of waving a bit of metal about. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's something you have to actually learn how to use. So. Um, it also kind of is tied to like this in terms of like honor and stuff like that. It's it's tied to positions of of status or so like warrior, yeah, honorable warrior types of various kinds, like knights uh, in the Western tradition, uh, samurai, um, Jedi, of course. Jedi, of course, yes. Have have swords. So yeah, all these ideas of of honor. Um, and skill and, and things linked to the idea of using a sword as a weapon. Mm. Um, the 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 other kind of general thing I had about swords was was their um, frequent appearance in in mythology, yeah. like the the existence of many legendary swords, uh, such as Excalibur, for example. That there's loads that are either imbued with some kind of special power or that are granted to some kind of chosen one um so i think that's something i'll I'll return to in more detail when we start talking about games but yeah that's uh just a a big part of of um thinking about swords like their mythological dimension yeah Uh, yeah what about you do you have any general sword Thoughts. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, as you say, like, um, you've given a really good overview of the way in which they're endowed with so much kind of storytelling power. Um, so that comes up. And also, um, for me, um, something that came up really strongly is this is the first time we have done a um, object that features very strongly, I think, in esoteric tradition. I could be wrong about that. Um, but I don't think like telephones or I mean, I'm sure... I'm sure you could find examples, but swords oh, have... food, Mass, wasn't it? Food, Some... I guess, yeah. I mean, but swords have their own tarot suit, really. The symbolism is quite clear when we're dealing with, with swords within um, Western sort of occultic language. Um, we talked about... I've often talked about the tarot in um, my other podcasts, uh, but this is the first time I've had, like, the chance to really get into a suit. Um, so within the tarot, you have, uh, you have like the big picture cards, which are called the major arcana and have like the death card and all the kind of exciting, those kinds of guys. And then you also have four suits, like you would have a normal deck of playing cards with numbered kind of cards within them. And swords is a suit. Uh, Swords within the tarot is particularly associated with the intellect and belief and thinking, these kinds of things. Judgment. Um, and, um, That's unusual because you, you just assume a weapon would be like not thinking. It's like well, a physical thing. But this kind of links to what I was saying, I guess, about them. 
Exactly that, yeah. Um, exactly the sense of justification, I think, is, is the thing with the sword and is why the sword um, that features there, the idea of violence that has belief, thought, justification behind it. Mm. Um, and um, the sword suit within the tarot is quite interesting because all the suits are like sort of supposed to just represent part of universal human experience so it's like you know the cups are to do with emotion and intuition and and pentacles or coins are to do with the material realm um swords to do with beliefs and thought but the sword pictures are really negative in the standard tarot deck designed by pamela coleman smith it's really noticeable that a lot of the sword pictures are kind of sad and fretful or anxiety provoking. Um, And so, so yeah, there's this suggestion that thought that belief can be tricky, that it can, you know, that swords can cut you, that this is a particularly difficult part of human experience. Um, and um, I just think that's kind of an interesting thing. Someone who knows more about the tarot than I would probably be able to come to a good reason why swords, much more than any other suit, are portrayed negatively within the tarot. Um, but certainly, you know, I guess it can be thinking that gets you in the end. So um, so maybe that's, <laughs> that's part of it. Yeah. I guess on the mythological theme, mm. um, there are lots of mythological or legendary or chosen one swords if you want to call them that in games yes um of course one of the most obvious ones um not a series i'm really familiar with you i know you've played them more than me but uh the master sword from the legend of zelda games is a a big one um handsome ransom from think the range touch i can't i can't remember if he's from range touch or no cartridge discord but regardless i've been back there asking for examples <laughs> and uh Hans, handsome ransom mentioned a, a wonderfully named sword um thunder fury blessed blade of the wind seeker nice uh, which is which is from a uh, world of warcraft uh lots of people mentioned the monado from xenoblade chronicles mm-hmm. which i i haven't played so uh, I can't tell you much about it, but that's a very popular legendary sword. Um, the Masamune from Chrono Trigger. I don't know if you've played Chrono Trigger. No. But you have to go on a big quest to like get this sword and you have to... Um, yeah, I'll, I'll maybe talk about that in, in a minute. But yeah, just to say that there's lots of these swords and they're often a feature of the story in some way. Right, right, right. Um, I thought, I mean, that that thing that the swords can be like, almost like iconic for a series or like legendary within them, as you say. I really, it really makes me think of, um, it was like E3 2015, wasn't it? That was like super exciting. Like there were loads of game reveals that people like lost their shit about. And one of them was obviously the Final Fantasy VII remake, which has only just sort of come out. Um but that I th- I believe in the teaser for that the 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 moment when everyone realised what it was that they were being shown a teaser for, uh, mm. was the moment when you see the sword on the back of his name is Cloud I believe, um, the Buster Sword right, mm-hmm. 
and and that was the thing that was the iconic thing that was like everyone realizing exactly what this is going to be this is final fantasy 7 very exciting moment um and i think the master sword within zelda is also like often incorporated into the 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 logo for zelda games as well so yeah i just absolutely iconic kind of carrying something of the spirit of these of these games yeah master sword is an interesting one in that because uh it's the first default sword that you have right um whereas like all these other swords are like swords that you have to go on a big quest to get and like it's a big deal when you get them but the buster sword's just the default sword it's like the worst sword (laughs) i mean you you won't be using it after that long but it's just the design of it is so iconic that for some reason it's just like yeah accrued this yeah uh aura power around it yeah aura yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. uh yeah it's absolutely huge isn't it i mean i definitely recognize i know that sword i think i think i recognized it even watching the teaser myself without ever Mm. having played final fantasy 7 you know i think it is yeah very much part of the language of that game yeah um i mean thinking about like swords and like stories because as you're saying like uh these these swords often have like um yeah, some kind of legendary status in the game mm. which like or, or like out of the game as you're saying can kind of transgress out of that but i was thinking like what uh, another thing that distinguishes swords from guns for example is that guns are mass produced yes um you the the idea of i mean there are exceptions to this in, in in games and stuff as well but generally speaking like the idea of kind of going on a quest to get a particular gun is kind of stupid like you just get another gun like you just pick up another version of the same gun because they're, they're the same mm. like you know you i don't know you drop your um ak-47 and pick up something else you just pick up another ak-47 later if you want an ak-47 uh a sword is not mass produced. A sword is crafted, and therefore it can be unique. It can be special, and this is why they can have stories because, and why they can be like a part of mythology because you can create like a special one-off sword, and then it can, and then it can become part of a story because it's unique. Mm. Like that can't happen with like a mass produced weapon. Um, uh, Source Force gave a nice example from um, Nier. They said um, the Nier games have cool swords, both regular sized ones and berserk style big ass slabs of iron swords. One of the things I really like about the swords in the Nier games is that they all have weapon stories, and each time you upgrade them, you get another part of this, another part of the story. Oh, that's perfect. Gra- yeah, granted, it's four sentences long, but it's still very cool. Yeah. So yeah, the the idea again like the each weapon has a story behind it because it's like a, a unique thing so i think that's a really nice example of that um also yeah i guess also because also because of that you the story that you are going through can become like a, the next part of that legend because like the sword often these swords have like you know history this sword was crafted by whoever some magical blacksmith or something i don't know and then this person had it and then it was lost to time and you need to get the sword because you need it to like beat somebody or do some shit i don't know so then the story of the sword's continuing with you so again the 
the Masamune from Chrono Trigger is a nice example that was mentioned by Slasher Epoch, who said the Masamune in Chrono Trigger is a pretty memorable video game sword. Its design is very basic, but a portion of the game is spent trying to get it, and it culminates with your party fighting two beings that are, are the embodiment of the of the sword. They are called Masa and Mune. So again, you need you like get this. Well, part of your story is getting the sword, mm. and then you've got the sword, and you're continuing its story. So I think that's a cool element of it. I think that's really nice. I mean, it just, it's this idea of a, of a sword as um, an item that is endowed with soul in a way that maybe some of the other items we talked about. And certainly, yeah, guns, is, as you said, is an example of one that it's it's difficult to really do that with. But it's like, yeah, a sword has its own story. It has its own, like, origin story, its own backstory. Um, the stories are, like, um, famous. I had a quick look at a book this week called i don't know if i've written down the title we'll just call it medieval folklore um it's edited by lindell mcnamara and lindo um and they talk about the kind of legend that sprung up legends that have sprung up around um swords particularly in the sort of um middle ages and um yeah particular craftsmen particular ways in which particular swords were made and then the story of that sword exactly as you say um becomes you know a really important part of of storytelling but um, I think a nice part of that is that um, it was kind of the making of swords was quite an uncertain thing, very much like mm. as opposed to mass produced weapons, um, a sword, you know, there's a, there's a great element of luck, basically, in getting the blade right, in not damaging it, um, in making sure that everything comes together really well. And as a result, you have loads of folklore springs up around it. Um, they had a wonderful example or some some examples of the kind of things that medieval folklore would recommend for making swords. Um, so certain liquids to use to quench the hot iron, which would vary from the waters of certain rivers to the urine of a redhead boy or the juice of radishes mixed with earthworms. Um, okay. Those are all things you could have used to sort of try and regularize, you know, the production of sword, which was an uncertain business. Um, and the game that I think does that really beautifully is um, The Witcher 3. Uh, Witcher 3 gets folklore um, on this. Uh, oh, yeah. It really, it really understands how to create a world that feels, I mean, this is obviously coming from the source text as well, uh, that feels like it has its own local systems of magic. Um, and um, and kind of just everyday colloquial magic being used by people just trying to make things turn out the best way they can. Um, mm -hmm. And and yeah, the, the making, the crafting of the swords within The Witcher, you will actually use bits of monster. Um, you will go to particular um, smiths, you know, to get the really good swords. Um, and, and then you're applying oils to them and stuff like that. You know, the right tools for the right job is very much part of The, the Witcher kind of um, ethos. Uh, but yeah, so for me, I think that's like a really nice example of, of swords being like really situated, having so much soul within, you know, within the setting of the world. Mm, very nice. Mm. Uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on kind of about the the mythological dimension of the sword. Mm. So I said this is often um, a chosen one thing. And you've uh, you've actually kind of already touched on this. You mentioned it about it being a kind of. Uh, I can't remember exactly the phrase you said, like a just, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, like a just violence or something. I think there's uh, a reactionary politics behind 
the idea of the sword, like that, it's particularly the swords that are wielded by the right person, mm. like a chosen one. It's kind of an idea, like akin to the divine right of kings, that like you are just the person who should be ruling. And and the idea of you having the sword uh, is that you are the one who is able to exercise violence. Like you, it's a symbol of power mm. that says that you have the kind of sole right to exercise a just violence um so yeah that idea is all tied up in that um i won't like go too much into this because it's not a sword strictly but i think control tries to touch on this because it it suggests that the uh the service weapon the gun has had many different forms and ties it to excalibur and stuff like that and yeah, the idea that you only one person can have that gun and then they are able they are in charge and then they decide who to exercise violence against so i think it tries to, it's maybe trying to approach that idea critically in some way through the gun but obviously that's a gun so i'll shut up about that now um i think it's fair enough um yeah, I, I absolutely came to this kind of point about um, the, the, the justification of violence as well. There's a really good book that I would recommend um, for everyone right now, actually. It's called A Distant Mirror, um, The Calamitous 14th Century by Barbara Tuckman. Um, and it is a, uh, a history book, but it's really, really beautifully written. It's so interesting, such an interesting time in human history in Europe. That includes the Black Death, which is quite a useful and um interesting point of reference for us all right now but um the um but she talks about um chivalry which is like this huge cultural form at the time uh you know and and knights and all of this stuff this is all very much part of the, the the popular culture of the day um and what chivalry does and and you know of course the knight is a is the is the chivalric figure uh the person who wields the sword is um it tries to theorize um the fighting man into the context of christian theology uh, that's quite mm. a difficult thing to do because as you, as you say knights are hired thugs right they they are hired by a lord they go around they do violence um for pay that's what they do um but but yeah trying to make them you know part of the christian landscape trying to make that good good um virtuous deeds um is is what tales of chivalry do um they essentially kind of try to make it so that the knight is always protecting something you know um and um and yeah so so i would recommend that book really really interesting overview of it and i do feel like again as we were saying, when we're talking about this kind of idea of the swords as linked to thought and um, judgment, that's yeah where it comes in really strongly. The idea that the sword is carrying out a violence that is somehow noble, somehow elevated than the kind of violence that would be done by a gun, by a club, you know, um, by by any other kind of violent device. Um, I think, as as you say, control touches on that, on the idea of of it as a sort of the sword as a vector of of, of like state power almost. Um, mm. Another one that I think is a really lovely inversion of it is in um, Dark Souls. Uh, Dark Souls, fantastic swords game, actually in general. Mm. Lo- lots to talk about about with Dark Souls and swords, but. Um, the lovely thing in Dark Souls, which I know I've spoken about before, is the way in which all the sort of understanding and belief 
and um, thought of the world seems to be being lost. Like you don't really understand who these mm-hmm. kings were. You don't really understand the causes that these knights were fighting for. Um, so you just have these kind of relics of kings and knights and heroes kind of inhabiting this world with their swords, everyone going mad, everything sort of falling away. And this like these absent justifications. You don't know what the cause was. You don't know really anything about the kingdom. There's a bit where you find this king um, in Dark Souls 2 that you've been hearing about. And he's uh, you're like, oh, I'm going to go and find the king, get some answers or whatever. Um, and, and then when you do find him, he's just this kind of shambling wreck sort of walking around in circles um, around this chamber in which he's been entombed, dragging this huge sword behind him. And um, there's something so sad about it. There's something like, like a, yeah, a missing a reason for all of this that mm. you just don't have. Um, and uh, yeah, Dark Souls, absolutely beautiful. But yeah, a lovely example of, of the way in which the sword embodies thought is that like when that all seems to be gone and all those beliefs and justifications fall away, uh, it, it sort of haunts haunts the whole story. It's lovely stuff. Mm, very nice. Um, yeah, I'm also, I'm stealing from your notes, okay. uh, but I'm, I am citing you here. Uh, you, you said that, you, you said that uh, swords are, are wielded by heroes, mm. which is yeah, kind of sums some of that stuff up as well. Like, so, that, yeah, guns often used by like criminals yeah. or like outlaws in the west or something but yeah like swords are always yeah as you say through i guess through this idea of chivalry tied into the the idea of a hero like being wielded by a hero yeah i mean we have no we just have no reference point i think particularly in in europe i think maybe in in the us it's slightly different where there is more of a mythology and there is more of a cultural narrative built up that kind of uh, renders guns noble uh, that there, there is yeah. you know there, there are narratives that people can go to for that in Europe not yeah. so much at all you don't you just do not have that and so there's no kind of romance about guns um, in the mm. way that there is about swords yeah I guess I guess, I guess yeah the, uh, from the the western tradition there is a kind of romance around the idea of the outlaw like this ideas of freedom and, and stuff but um, yeah. yeah i guess that's a subject for another another day yes uh one more thing actually on mythology stuff um soul uh the soul caliber series maybe has a nice inversion of this idea of the sword and like the stories around it um i don't know i'm guessing soul caliber is not uh, your game you is soul caliber the one with ivy in it yeah i remember I her <laughs> um i i think she's the one with yeah the costume okay. uh <laughs> leaves very little to the imagination yeah um yeah. Uh, i think a mate had it when i was a teenager and obviously ivy made an impression but i don't i don't remember anything else about yeah. Soul so yeah so kind of a, a fighting game right. where the characters have swords but the the legendary sword in that is the soul edge which is kind of wielded by the final boss and then you, after you defeat the final boss, you fight the sword, like the spirit of the sword oh. kind of comes out and you fight. Like um, So the Soul Edge is a legendary sword that the idea is that kind of, because obviously we have these noble ideas of swords, but like they're used to like kill people. Mm. So the idea is that over time, the sword being soaked in the blood of slaughtered people and kind of the horror of violence and so and, and so on has become like self-aware like it's gradually 
yeah, they, they're being soaked in this stuff has given it like a spirit and it's yeah. become like this malevolent evil force. And people kind of seek this sword for its power, but it requires a great deal of will to use it. And generally speaking, the sword will overwhelm whoever wields it and, and basically possesses them and enacts its will through them. So, uh, yeah, the, the kind of the story of that sword gets insanely complicated over the series. But the various people who, because obviously there's different endings and stuff depending on you fi- who you finish with. But various people can get like, uh, some of the people that you finish with, with, I think, will get possessed if they with their ending when they try and take it. So anyway, I thought it was a nice kind of inversion of the kind of legend of the sword that kind of brings up the violence of it. I think that sounds really cool. But yeah, again, it's so interesting that loads of these examples are like, yeah, the sword being imbued with a spirit or having some kind Mm. of, yeah, sort of um, soul of its own. Uh, I feel like something similar to this might also happen in Dragon Age 2, but I can't remember whether it's a sword or something else. Um, but there's a character who gets like possessed by a by a weapon mm. or something. I don't know. Dragon Age Two is a weird game, um, so I won't I won't try and cite it too hard. But uh, but yeah, I think it's something like that. Um, so I guess returning to a, a subject we we touched on, uh, you mentioning the the Buster Sword is mm. like swords as kind of an extension of character. Like they're often um, they're often like a part of the silhouette of a character, which is very important for like distinguishing who they are, as you said. And and uh, a lot of the kind of more iconic swords are very distinctive in the way they're designed. Um, so yeah, Buster Sword is a, is a big one. Uh, the Gunblade, um, which you, I guess you don't know from Final Fantasy VIII. No, it's a it's a it's a gu- it's a sword, but the handles like a revolver thing nice and when you when you hit people you like tap the shoulder button and it shoots them at the same time wow um, practical it was a fun sword yeah yes that that was a squall's sword um so yeah i, I get what i was kind of trying to get to is that the sword is often a, a part of the character more so than other weapons mm. like there's an idea that a warrior is who has a sword is tied to their weapon you know like a lot of these legends it's like this person wields this sword. Yeah. Like, you know, there's like, it's part of who they are. It's like um, something that they carry on them. It's something that they protect. Like, well, they're not, I mean, my like, understanding of like being a knight is that when you get qualified to be a knight, you get given a sword. Like, it's like, it's like the badge, like it is the job um, in a mm. way. Yeah. So they're very much not disposable. And mm. um, yeah, they're very much a part of the, of the person, of the character, of that warrior. Um, I guess following on from this, like the type of sword that a person has can often tell you a lot about the character. Um, For example, just on like a very practical level, if you're going to fight a character in the game, in a game, if they are holding a massive fuck off chunky sword that's like the length of a man, you can guess that they're going to be quite slow yeah. and they're going to do a lot of damage. They're going to do big uh, like overhead slashes. It's going to take a long time to hit. If they're holding two short, thin swords, you're like, okay, this person's going to be very fast and probably won't do much damage. But uh, so yeah, you, you, they kind of, you can read a lot into like what you're facing. I just suddenly thought of, I don't know. Does, do you think it counts as a sword? Um, I haven't actually played Silent Hills 
Silent Hill 2, but um, Pyramid Head has like a big, I think it's like a sword. It's like a big sort of serrated. He's like a big sort of famous enemy mm. within that game. Have you played Silent Hill 2? No. Too scary. No, too scary. Of course, of course. I actually, I, <laughs> but I know, I know what you're talking yeah, about. I yeah, I actually, I had a, I had a little go on it the other day actually because you can get it on PlayStation now, and it was actually like it was, it was scaring me quite a lot. I think I might try and go back in and keep going, um, but I am aware of Pyramid Head as like a yeah, really famous baddie within it, and I think he's got like a big thing that almost like looks like a cleaver, but I guess counts as a sword. But yeah, as you say, so much information coming off that. Like I can imagine how he attacks. I can also mm. like see that he's like um it's kind of like gritty kind of like uh there's a kind of energy coming off him that isn't about nobility despite the fact he's got this big blade because it looks like something that you would use to chop meat um yeah yeah or a bit rusty and, and rusty like, exactly like um, not hygienic which is very yeah. much the sort of silent hill vibe i believe it's like yeah. everything looks very dirty yeah um <laughs> So yeah, also. So I guess a, a um, Soul Calibur is another obvious example of that. So uh, Siegfried has a big chunky uh, sword that he holds with two hands, and he's a bit slower. Um, Mitsuragi has a uh, katana, so he's a bit quicker and doesn't do as much damage as Siegfried, obviously. Um, I guess that that also ties into one other thing I want to touch on, which which is uh, the kind of opposition between Eastern and Western swords. Oh yeah. So I think they share a lot of ideas, but um, yeah, we have like you know Western swords versus like the the katana that we associate with Japan and the samurai and things like that. And there's there are certain assumptions about kind of grace and elegance that goes with the katana as opposed to like a western longsword mm. um yeah kind of the swords kind of embody ideas uh correct or not uh it doesn't it doesn't necessarily matter for the purposes of what we're talking no. about but but nevertheless the, the swords embody sort of ideas about the culture mm-hmm. um and like what what kind of yeah people these are that wield these swords um interesting i think that when swords are used in stealth games in my i may be wrong but for me it's almost always a katana right it's always uh so tenchu uh tenchu games uh for example uh sekiro which has a stealth element so yeah that kind of plays into those ideas about what a samurai is and how yeah, like the the, the Western swords is slightly, it's, it's kind of chunkier, and it's suggesting that you would be more less um, kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like uh, you'd you'd confront more directly, and like yeah. uh, and it'd be less um, you'd have less finesse about you. You would be. Uh, there's a word that I'm searching for that's not quite coming. I keep but, wanting to um, use the word blunt, but of course you don't want a sword that's blunt. But like, yeah, that no, you're yeah. sort of barreling in with like a broadsword or something. Like you wouldn't use that in a stealth game, like because you're also yeah. like we're thinking about Western swords. You think about sword, you think about swords that are worn with armor, <laughs> and then you're in yes. trouble. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you yeah. don't want to be trying stealth round corners. Um, 
No, it's daggers, isn't it? Daggers is what we think of um, if we're thinking of uh, stealth within a sort of more Western context, I think, like those mm. games, um, which I think probably deserve their own episode, maybe. I don't know. We probably would, mm. You wouldn't have loads to talk about. You'd just be talking about stealth games. But um, but yeah, certainly. Quite possibly. Yeah, swords, swords like Western-style swords, don't work within that in the way that, as you say, like Sekiro, uh, mm. where you're running around being a stealthy samurai. Okay, so I had one more mechanic, and it, we have been touching on it throughout, as always, um, but it is initiation and discipline. Um, so yeah, the sword that comes to you when you've earned it, not, you know, in a kind of spiritual sense. Um, so examples of this are uh, Witcher 3, Blood and Wine expansion, uh, the sword Arundite comes to you from the Lady of the Lake. It's like it's a very straightforward play on Arthurian mm. legend. Um, once you've demonstrated five chivalric virtues, uh, you can um, retrieve this sword uh, from a lake. And that's, uh, it's very good. I mean, have you played um, the Blood and Wine expansion? I assume so. No. Oh, really? I want to, no, I, w- I want to play, I, I do want to play both the, both the expansions. Yeah. Uh, Blood and Wine, what are the two? Blood and Wine and Hearts what's the other Stone. one? Hearts Stone. Which is the one that's like a brand new area? Blood and Wine. Blood and Wine. Yeah, so I started it um, like way, way after I played The Witcher three and then i got like completely destroyed by the first enemy you fight oh yeah yeah, yeah. And i'd kind of forgotten like how to play it mm, mm. and i just like yeah i just stopped right um i was like i can't i don't know how to play this game anymore so i kind of had a vague idea that i would play the witcher 3 again and do and then go straight into it but i mean it's that's a big commitment it's not a short game i keep i keep thinking like i wonder when i'm going to start playing that game again because it will definitely happen but um i might wait for cyberpunk now i might just sort of like do it on the other side of that we'll see Mm. um but definitely i've got a fourth playthrough of the witcher 3 in me i reckon Um, (laughs) yeah blood and wine's really really good though and it it works really beautifully within that whole landscape we've been talking about about these kinds of myths and legends um about what kind of sorry no carry on i I, I was just gonna say what kind of chivalric virtues do you have to you have to demonstrate um wisdom compassion uh honor um and and some other ones and they they all depend on the ways in which you have finished up certain quests basically um so i think obviously you can fail you can fail you can get into a position where you can't get the sword i think lots of different quests will so for for compassion for instance it will read the way in which you finished loads of different quests um and so if you got one of them with the most compassionate way then then you'll you'll tick that box so i think it would be quite difficult to get yourself so you couldn't do it but you i mean if you were playing like a real asshole like maybe maybe you could um Mm. i think i got them all straight away because i just always play as like a right goody two shoes (laughs) yeah yeah but anyway, it's it's fun and then you get this sword and it's a good sword. Um, so that's really nice. Um, and what's the other one that you get when you deserve it? The Master Sword in Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, it's really cool because it's like there is loads of folklore about swords that don't go blunt, that remain sharp. Okay. 
Um, I guess for good reason, because, you know, that would be the absolute ideal. Um, and the thing that I said when I was talking about playing Zelda Breath of the Wild um, earlier on in one of these episodes that we've been doing is that it was like the most annoying thing for me was the the way weapons degrade and break. Mm. It's super annoying. Like it actually puts me off replaying the game. Um, just thinking okay. of just thinking about it. it's just not a mechanic that I could get into at all. But the Master Sword doesn't degrade. Like and and um and there's actually folklore within the world of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Like you talk to people in inns and gradually as you get higher level, like they'll start saying things about, oh yeah, there's a sword out there that never goes blunt. Um, so that's very cool. So you're very motivated to find it. Um, and, um, and you have to find it by journeying through this spooky wood maze thing, which is like really, really good, really atmospheric. And also when you get to it to like pull it out of the ground in classic, um, sword in the stone style, um, you need to have enough hearts, which is like enough of a health bar really. But mm. um but it kind of fits really nicely with the idea of yeah being a true knight and um having having enough heart to wield this weapon. Um so yeah, so that is a lovely example I thought of a sword that you get to once you deserve it. And actually I found another fictional precursor uh, that it reminded me of um, is in uh, the Ramayana, which is not a video game. It's <laughs> it's a um, it's a work of mythology from ancient India. It's really 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 good. The Ramayana. Um, if you like stories of like if you like epics with like monsters and and kings and uh, great you know saga. Um, it's really, really good. I, I think it's it's fantastic. There's a lovely uh, translation by uh, Linda Igenis and Kumada Reddy um, that I would highly recommend. Um, but that has in it the idea of weapons that come to you when you're kind of ready for them. And you don't even have to like pull them out of a lake or um, a stone. They just kind of appear from the air. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's very, very cool. I, I found this bit. Um, there's a bit where the Lord Rama, who's like the, the hero of the Ramayana, um, he goes to see a sage called Vishvamitra. Uh, the, uh, the Ramayana says, facing east, seated on the Kush Kusha grass, the holy sage closed his eyes and whispered the mantras to Rama, who repeated them with eyes closed. A different missile appeared every time Rama repeated another mantra. In this way, Vishvamitra bestowed on Rama hundreds of weapons of all the devas, which he himself had received from Lord Shiva as a reward for his great purity of heart and mind earned through years of meditation. I, I just really like the idea of just sitting there and meditating and weapons like <laughs> pouring out of the air at you. Like it's really cool. And, yeah. and the thing, the, 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 the final example I have that this then brings me to is Diablo 3, which I mentioned at the top of the show, um, which has this amazing... Diablo 3 is quite a silly game in a lot of ways. Like the storyline's really quite bad and um, the, the aesthetic is not particularly interesting, particularly coming off the back of um, Diablo 2. Um, but there is this cool thing about like, you know, you're running around, you're fighting, you're watching the numbers go up, as you said. Um, and as you fight harder and difficulty levels go up, um, the weapons, the, the loot that monsters drop when you kill them become more and more powerful more and more legendary you know more and more desirable and it's almost like the weapons are just like this 
it doesn't feel like the goblin or skeleton or whatever you're fighting is could possibly have dropped this legendary weapon. It feels like the legendary weapon was like an imminent property of the world, just kind of waiting to come to you through your incredible prowess. Um, and, mm. and there's something really nice about it. And the lovely thing with Diablo 3 is um, the way that when you're playing it, you get into this like meditative state. Um, lots of people will point this out, like you'll sort of, you'll sort of zone out playing Diablo. Um, I remember talking to my, I play playing it with my nephew when he was like 10 or something. And we were just doing it couch co-op one afternoon and we'd been playing for like an hour. And then suddenly he was like, oh my God, I just realized I'm just not thinking about anything anymore. Um, and it's it like, <laughs> it's very weird. It gets you into this kind of strange um, hypnotic zone where you are just like looking at numbers, looking at nice flashing lights, uh, you know, positioning yeah. your hero, uh, killing monsters, picking up weapons. And, um, and I thought that is maybe the way to get away from all of this difficult swords energy we were talking about earlier, where it's, you know, too much thinking, too much in the mind, too too anxious, too much about judgment and, and um, justifications is maybe actually just play Diablo 3 and you can just drop the brain altogether and just, you know, enjoy the colourful lights and all the swords uh, flying at you. So that is yeah. that is my recommendation, my prescription. If you feel like you have too much swords energy in your life is actually play Diablo 3 and, uh, and drop the brain altogether. Okay. Yeah. That's my strong recommendation there. <laughs> okay. Nice. Um, I wanted to... I, I tried to think of some games that I felt were very fun to be a swordsman in. Right, yeah. Like, that that captured the good stuff about... So, if... if if you if we have if we've established that the, the sword comes with an idea of finesse and skill then i would ideally like a game that i play with a sword in to make me feel that mm. um and sekiro instantly came to mind i l- loved that game a lot yeah. um it's by far my favorite combat from a from software game um the just the, especially some of the the longer boss fights where you kind of you're learning like you learn the uh, kind of your opponent's attacks and you're perfectly you know parrying each one like you know what's coming so there's a sense that you have this skill and you're like you're fighting. It's not like there's not a lot of um, you know like a like a maybe like a hack and slash game where you're like hitting the other person like the health's going down mm. you're actually trying to break their posture so so basically for anyone who doesn't know whenever you if you can damage someone's health which if you hit them which also damages their posture at the same time but also when they block it damages their posture they don't lose any health and if you if you do that enough then their posture breaks and you can do like a a death blow which on normal enemies will kill them instantly. Bosses, often you have to do that twice mm. uh, or perhaps more, I can't remember. But so yeah, there's an idea that you're, yeah, you're battling back and forth like to, you're not, you're not hitting each other, you know what I mean? You're, 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 you have to perform this perfect like technical dance to like get to the moment where you can, you finally bested them in this duel and like you can perform the death blow. And it's really, really satisfying. And you feel like you're a very skilled sword fighter. Yeah, so. I remember you saying, actually, because we, we 
uh, Paul and I do not have the same experience of Sekiro. Um, I have tried to play it a couple of times and just been just, that's ah, not good enough. I don't think I, I think I can do it. Um, but I remember you saying like when you were um, talking about fighting Genichiro, uh, mm-hmm. who's yeah. like one of the sort of landmark bosses. Um, yeah. That, yeah, that it's like it comes with a wonderful feeling of mastery uh, once yeah. you'd kind of finally nailed how to get him. Um, and mm. I think that's really nice. I think including parrying as a mechanic with swords, we haven't talked about that. We, 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 you know, this is the first one that this has come up for, um, but that's mm. its own distinct idea of swords. You know, the sword that doesn't just do damage, that kind of deflects, that is used as part of this kind of um, almost like a dialogue of um, of combat between yourself and your adversary. Yeah. And games that include it, mm. like when you do it right, yeah. it's like... It feels great. So, yeah, very cool sword mechanic. Um, Nidhogg is another one which is very fun. Mm-hmm. Don't know how familiar you are with Nidhogg. It's a, it's a, a multiplayer game, like a one-on-one multiplayer game, like 2D, very simple graphics. You both have a sword. You can kind of, uh, you can raise this. So, uh, if I remember correctly, this might be slightly wrong, but the, the spirit of it is correct. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have the sword at like three different levels. So like high, medium and low. And you can kind of like jab out with it. And uh, like if you if you do it at the, the same level, then like you block the other person's attack. Right. So you're, you're, you're kind of moving back and forward. You've got to be very careful of your distance. You, you've got to constantly judge that. You've got to constantly move your sword around to kind of like, um, yeah, keep the other person guessing what's coming. If you, I think, again, I think this is right. If, for example, you have your sword at the medium level and they attack at high level and you move your sword up before... Mm they make contact you knock the sword out of their hand makes sense so that's another thing you can deliberately do and then they're disarmed and then they have to kind of try and keep space to you can pick up your sword again but you have to like then potentially get over jump over the other person at the right time you can throw swords as well if you want to take a risk um and basically there's a series of screens and basically every time you kill someone then you can run to the next screen and you need to get like maybe I don't know how many screens are but you're kind of pushing them back until you get to the end which allows you to be consumed by the nidhog which is like a giant worm that jumps out the sand and you jump in its mouth whatever (laughs) Um, but but it's a real great back and forth thing you know you might push them back all the way to the last screen and think you're gonna one and then suddenly they they push you back and then you're going, you're thinking, no, no, I'm losing it, I'm right, losing right, it. And right. you're going back. Or it might be, it might take ages to get like, it might be you go one screen forward, one screen back, one screen forward, one screen back. And you're constantly, this battle can go on for ages and you've got to be really careful with what you're doing. So again, it feels, yeah, like a very skillful uh, combat system. Yeah, like you're and having it takes to... a lot of time in it. Yeah, like you're having to embody that discipline uh, that, yeah, 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 that yeah. we associate with the sword. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, and you have to, yeah, like I say, you have to like watch your distance and think, yeah, yeah all this stuff. So it's super cool, super fun. And that, that kind of also made me think about uh, a game which I didn't, I think maybe I rented it once, but um, Samurai Showdown mm-hmm. was a fighting game. Uh, I hope I've not mixed this up with another game because I didn't check it. And I just, now I've just realized I've just assumed my memory's correct. But um, it's a, a fighting game where c- you can 
but uh, you can kill someone with like one hit right. if you get them with your so it's unusual with fighting games and again you've got to be oh no it's, it's Bushido Blade Bushido Blade that's what I'm thinking right. of also look someone can correct me on Twitter if I've completely messed this I up don't know I now think it's games. Bushido Blade right. regardless it's a fighting yeah. game where you have swords but you can die in one hit if you hit each other so swords often have this lethality to them same in Nidhogg it's like a one hit thing where yeah you have to be more disciplined as you mm. said and you, it's like um some tension there and like waiting for the right moment and making the correct judgment and anticipating what the other person wants to do or is expecting you to do which can be yeah again super super satisfying um and i guess one other type of sword uh that i have to mention are lightsabers which oh, yeah. are just very cool and fun to use because, <laughs> yeah, lightsabers are cool. Dark Forces 2 is a first-person shooter where you also had lightsabers. Um, generally speaking, I mean, you could use them in the game and, like, deflect bullets and stuff, but um, or laser blasts. But you, the, all the boss battles were against uh, other Jedi, and then you would put your gun away and get your lightsaber out. Uh, I don't know. It was a bit janky, really, but just having the lightsaber and like having a lightsaber fight felt cool and the fact that you were like again you were in a level shooting all the time at stormtroopers but then a uh, a dark jedi comes and now it's the honorable right. battle you know you get the sword out and this is now like a, a contest between two people that takes it's not just like shooting you're done it's like a then more prolonged contest so that's cool and then the the kind of the follow-ups from that jedi outcast jedi academy basically i think you could still shoot in them but they kind of just moved everything to the lightsaber and made it third person and you were very very nimble you could jump around and do flips all over the place you were just kind of swinging this thing and spinning it about and um yeah they're they're fun games they're not doesn't require the the finesse and skill of a, a sakura i don't think necessarily Although I think there were people who got very into the online multiplayer and probably could fight in quite complex ways mm. with the lightsabers. But yeah, so that was fun as well, I think. Is the new the new sort of newish Souls like Star Wars game? What's that called? Uh you've played it, haven't you? Yeah, uh Fallen Order. Fallen Order, yeah. Um so you've got a lightsaber in that, I assume, if it's a souls like. Like is that is that kind yeah, yeah, of what you just have a light- most of the combat you is? Just, yeah, you just have a lightsaber. Uh you don't have a gun. Uh, so you fight a lot of monsters and wildlife. Uh there are the, the levels of stormtroopers, you basically yeah, block their laser blasts and you try and close distance and use your force powers and then you chop them up with your lightsaber. And then yeah, there's there's various enemies that are uh melee focused you know they've got some kind of energy thing mm. so there's a lot of um dueling and stuff and then obviously boss battles um but yeah i wasn't you weren't crazy about it were massively... you yeah i keep thinking i might like give it a go i probably will when it gets cheap i'll probably like buy it just because i yeah like a I, mean, like... I think i think plenty of people like it mm. um mm. uh i think there's a lot of people who are like you know it's it was kind of of the opinion that it's not like amazing, but like 
it's you know it's okay it's, it's a fun time yeah. like it's not but yeah for for me it was i think coming off of Sekiro right. and just it didn't it was just not up to that level in terms of the combat so i found it a little bit frustrating mm, mm. Uh, yeah. well i'll say uh, talking about lightsabers reminds me of my um older brother adam who i know listens to the show and uh, enjoys a lightsaber um shout out adam and i should say actually he mentioned a sword uh which he he wanted me to bring up which is the wooden sword in ninja gaiden uh did you i don't know if you ever played ninja gaiden uh i reviewed one of them for work i can't remember it was like one of the newer ones not i haven't played the old right 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 um well it was um a sword that yeah i think it's like your starting sword um but if you kind of leveled it up all the way through the game it would eventually become like the the most powerful sword in the game and i thought that was yeah that's kind of quite a fun thing i think it was like under certain conditions i think it became incredibly powerful if you'd leveled it all the way up and you had no health suddenly like it was just like did these incredible bonuses and stuff um but yeah that sounds like a fun a fun sword um to to enjoy certainly requires some commitment exactly yeah yeah it requires some commitment and some you know discipline and and all of these things to to carry it to the end and then finally you've got your essentially a stick which is like incredibly overpowered Mm. Uh, i wanted to give a shout out to talking swords as well Um, always shout out to talking swords yeah (laughs) I, I presume I, I can't think of any examples, but I presume there's a tradition of that in like legend as well, yeah. like swords that have a spear in them. But um, uh, Chiron mentioned the Lilacore from Baldur's Gate Two, okay. which is a talking enchanted sword. Um, apparently, it's quite a useful sword because it's quite powerful at the time you get it, and it makes you immune to charm and confusion, which is a very useful characteristic. But you have to balance that with the fact that it can be quite annoying mm. to have a talking sword that won't shut up. And that a, a couple of people mentioned that thing we're talking about this idea of like the sword's talking a lot and starting to annoy you, but not uh, being immune to charm and confusion, which are two very annoying um, status effects, is, is is a kind of balance that you have to deal with of whether you want to hear this sword nattering away or not. That is a fun. Uh, that is a fun decision to have to make in a game. Yeah, yeah I applaud that. Um, have you played Transistor? No. I think you'd like that. I know what the art looks like. It's very stylish, isn't it? Did you play Bastion? I played like a second of it. Mm. I think you'd really like Transistor. Okay, but uh, maybe maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But anyway, the um, that's got a cool talking sword. The consciousness of the main character's boyfriend lover uh, becomes trapped in the sword mm-hmm. after he's killed with it. Uh, her being the intended target initially, and the sword then is like the narrator of the story. Um, it's a very cool and stylish game and this this kind of use of the narrator is done very well uh, and uh, yeah, fits into it nicely. It's, it's just also a very kind of tragic example of the talking sword, like her, her yeah, her, her, her love has, you know, been murdered mm. and it's like still there, but also not really. He's trapped in this sword and yeah, just the, the idea of him being there but not is kind of in a way worse. I don't know. Than him being dead. Um, yeah, it's a nice idea. So yeah, that uh, yeah, I want to give a shout out to that game. That's a uh, very cool game. Um, I think you might enjoy it. it. Has a cool like the combat system has a it's like a kind of hack and slash, but then there's a thing where you like freeze the combat and then you plan out turns like a 
like turn-based Ooh, game or something. Okay, yeah, that does sound. So, so you, it's like a resource that you have. So you can pause it and you can spend like the amount of time you have on like enemies and then it will play out the the actions you did. That does sound um, quite cool. Yeah, I, I'll have you, I know you, you like games that are very stylish I do. and stuff, right? Yeah. And this has very strong art direction, mm-hmm. very strong kind of yeah um, vision of, of, of itself in terms of the music, very good music very good art so i don't know all right maybe give it a look yeah um yeah so yeah i just as always i wanted to 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 run through quickly a few suggestions that we got from people that i thought cool that we didn't kind of fit into the the main body of it so um bryce mentioned a game called die by the sword which is not about a specific sword, but has a cool slash weird control scheme where your mouse movements controlled your sword arm. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how good that was in practice. That sounds but really it's annoying. A, yeah. a fun, fun. <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's a fun idea, yeah. but yeah, it does sound annoying. Doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Jay from Nomad mentioned a real life sword that was planned to be given as a prize for a contest involving the Sword Quest games on Atari, but was never given out and may have been stolen by Jack Tramiel. <gasps> I'm not sure who Jack Trammell is. I've read. Yeah, I read a bit. Of, I read a bit of the Wikipedia page. They were giving out some very expensive prizes in this contest. That is so. Um, there's um. There's a book. This is completely unrelated. There's a book called Masquerade, which is like one of my favourite things ever. That was like um a puzzle book with really beautiful illustrations. I'd massively recommend it. Um, but it, yeah, there was like it had a bunch of puzzles in it, and then what if you solved all the puzzles, you could find a real life treasure, uh, which was okay. like a piece of jewelry that had been buried somewhere in England. And um, yeah, that just reminded me of that. I think that's cool having, having actual treasure that you can get at the end of a, at the end of a, yeah. a contest. Yeah. I mean, I had a quick look for the Wikipedia page. You linked, as I said, they were giving out all these treasures that were incredibly right, expensive, right. but then like all the people who'd won the treasures could then compete for the ultimate prize, which was this very expensive sword oh that had been made. But then it was like when the video game crash happened and then kind of, uh, I think basically the game got cancelled, but maybe they had to finish the contest because of like law, because like, you know, if because you honor. advertise a con. Yeah, because of, honor, of course, because it's dealing with a sword. That's it. It wasn't to do with law and contests. It was about honor. Yeah, um, yeah uh, uh, Jacob said, I like the pair of swords uh, the main character gets near the end of Tales of Symphonia. One is from your shitty dad and one is from your good dad, who's been a much smaller part of the story. Okay. Uh, there are a couple of other swords you can get through optional bosses or side quests or whatever. They're a little more powerful, but they don't look as cool. And also there's a secret ability you can only do if you have them equipped. Um Romination and Simon both mentioned a sword in DM's uh, Devil May Cry 5 that you can rev like a motorcycle. Nice. That's uh, I'm what just, I'm talking about. I'm on about. board with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Um, nice little story from Slash Epoch. The sword which mattered the most to me personally in video games was a simple plus four bastard sword from the Neverwinter Nights Shadow of Undertide expansion. Uh, and even then it's more a riddle of steel scenario. The person swinging the sword matters more than the blade itself. I did everything I could to spec a weapon master prestige class to be the deadliest person in the world with a bastard sword and used guides and research to weigh the different builds I read about on the internet. By the end of the game, I could walk into any room and just rip apart anything I saw, especially if they had the bad luck to be charging at me. Sometimes the game would slow to a crawl because I had enough attacks in a single round when a bunch of dark elves ran at me that it taxed my college roommate's old computer to the limit and I was worried I'd broken the game with optimization. It's one of the few times in CR 
CRPGs that I felt like my vision of the character had really come to fruition, even though it was a pretty simplistic sword guy vision. And I appreciated that Conan-esque interpretation that my character's training and will mattered so much more than the sword he was carrying. Oh my goodness. Round of applause for Slasher Epoch, a true knight. (laughs) That's fantastic. Good for him. All that discipline that we're talking about, all that training and commitment, all the kind of self-belief being poured into that sword build there. I love it. Wonderful, yeah. And, and I guess, f- finally, I mean, in, in tribute to our Metal Gear Solid um, Patreon uh, series we've, we've been doing, yep. I had to mention uh, a couple of people, including Sourceforce, mentioned Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Uh, I didn't mention that in our discussion of Metal Gear. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's, the, it's, a, <laughs> Sorry, it's a spin-off. Revengeance. Yeah, yes, Good. that was a topic of a lot of discussion. Um, <laughs> it's called, yes, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Um, it's uh, Raiden, who we mentioned from Metal Gear Solid 2, the androgynous uh, kind of effeminate. Uh, yeah, he gets a sword in Metal Gear Solid 2 at some point, mm-hmm. And he kind of, in the other games, becomes a non-playable character, but basically a cyborg ninja, kind of like Grey Fox. Nice. Um, so Revengeance is a spin-off action character get like like a dmc or uh bayonetta or mm-hmm. something like that so anyway um source force says metal gear rising revengeance has some great swords and um, they're all high frequency blades that can cut basically anything so they've got yeah some kind of energy sword so the, the game's got a mechanic where you can kind of free you can use the sticks to like you go into like a kind of freeze mode or like you, you kind of slash in all different directions and chop stuff up um which looks very fun cool. um Jetstream sam um, great name following on in the Metal Gear tradition Jetstream Sam has his family's katana that was turned into a high frequency braid and it has what looks like a rifle magazine attached to the scabbard so he can use a gunpowder explosion to draw his sword even faster um, <laughs> that's very fun uh, he also mentioned that you can get uh, Grey Fox's sword in the game, which is the strongest weapon, and a wooden sword that contains Snake's soul and will play solid Snake quotes. Uh, but that is Japan-only DLC, unfortunately. Oh, my goodness. Uh, a sword embodying all the wisdom of solid Snake, I think, would be exactly. a hell of a weapon. All right, lovely. Well, that's uh, swords um, done for now. I uh, hope you very much enjoyed that. If you did enjoy the show, if you are enjoying Get Object, please do consider leaving a review for us on your favourite uh, podcasting platform. That would be fantastic. Uh, yeah, we'd like to check those and see what people are saying. It's nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, boost the numbers, uh, play the algorithms, but they're, you know, they're nice to read. Very nice, like yeah. Okay, Rosie, what are we going to be talking about next time? Next time, we are going to be talking about towns which we have decided is inclusive of cities, villages, yeah. all sorts of places someone might like to live. Yeah. And yeah, if you've got any ideas of towns that you think we should cover ahead of that, or if you've got any swords that we, we haven't mentioned, mm. any cool examples of swords um, that we can read out next time, then tweet us at getobjectpod, email us at getobjectpod at gmail.com, um the our um game club series is rolling on on uh on patreon at patreon.com slash get object so we've we've rosie's finished metal gear solid um if you want to hear how she felt about that that's on there um avenue will be continuing 
our first 15 video series is continuing on there so yeah that good stuff's all there to check out as well lovely stuff all right well that's it so yeah we will join you next time for towns but in the meantime that's us done for now thank you very much for listening and goodbye bye bye